are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, you can do so on Facebook by finding the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group and there sharing your thoughts and insights from today's readings with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaimed the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts, the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 189. And we are reading today from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 7, Paragraphs 74 to 83. Chapter 7. The exalted purpose of the instruction of Most Holy Mary are explained more at large, and how she put these instructions into practice. 74. All three involuntary causes must have some reasonable end or purpose which move them to act, And having obtained a clear view of this end, they proceed to choose the means for obtaining it. This is certainly true of the works of God, who is the first and primary cause, and who is infinite wisdom itself, disposing and executing all things, and reaching from end to end in sweetness and power, as the wise man says. Nor does he seek the destruction and annihilation of any creature, but all of them, he has made in order that they may enjoy life and existence. Wisdom 8.1 The more wonderful and excellent the works of the Most High, so much the more admirable and exalted are the ends to which they tend. Although the ultimate end of all things is the manifestation of his own glory, yet all are ordained according to infinite knowledge and are connected one with each other like the links of a chain. Thus, all creatures succeed each other from the lowest to the highest and nearest to God, the author of all. 75. All the excellence and sanctity of our great lady is included in her, having been molded by God as the image or living stamp of his own Son, being so well adjusted and refined in grace that she seemed another Christ by communication and privilege. Galatians 4.4. Thus was established a singular and divine intercourse between her and her son. She had given him the form and existence of man, while the Lord gave her that other highest spiritual existence of grace, so that there was a mutual correspondence and similarity of gifts. The ends which the Most High had in view were proportionate to this rare wonder, and to this the greatest of all his operations in mere creatures." In the second and sixth chapter, I have said something concerning the honor of Christ and its being bound up with the efficacy of his doctrines and merits. 
that his honor required their power to be made known in his most holy mother, and that all the effects of the evangelical law and the fruits of his redemption should redound to his glory by being exhibited in her. More than in all the rest of his holy church and in all the predestined was this to be found in the sovereign lady, his mother. 76. The second end which the Lord had in view of this work, concerning likewise the ministry of the Redeemer, for the work of our redemption was to correspond with those of the creation of the world, and the remedy of sin was to be correlative with its entrance among men. Therefore it was befitting that just as the first Adam had as a companion in sin our mother Eve, and was moved and abetted therein by her, causing the loss of the whole human race, so also in the reparation of this great ruin, the second and heavenly Adam, Christ our Lord, was to have as a companion and helper his most pure mother. She was to concur and cooperate in the redemption, although in Christ alone, who is our head, existed the full power and adequate cause of the general redemption. In order that this mystery might not want the proper dignity and correspondence, it was necessary that what was said by the Most High in the first formation of man be fulfilled in regard to Christ and his mother. It is not good for man to be alone. Let us make him a help like unto himself. Genesis 2.18 This the Lord in his omnipotence did, so that speaking of the second Adam, Christ, he could say, This now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Genesis 2.23 I shall not detain myself in further explanation of this sacrament, for it is clearly seen by reason, enlightened by divine faith, and the resemblance between Christ and his most holy mother is clearly manifest. 77. Another motive for this mystery, though here mentioned in the third place, is first in regard to the intention, for it concerns the eternal predestination of Christ our Lord, which I have described in the first part of this history. The primary intention of the eternal word in assuming flesh and becoming the teacher of men correspond with the greatness of that very work which was to be performed. This was the greatest of all his works, and it was really the end for which all the rest were to be executed. Hence the divine wisdom so arranged matters that among mere creatures there should be one which fully met his desire of being our teacher and adopting us as his children by his grace. If the Creator had not thus formed the Most Holy Mary and furnished her with the degree of sanctity, like to that of his divine Son, according to our coarse way of speaking, the adequate motive for his incarnation, so far as it is manifest to us, would have been wanting. Compare with this what is said of Moses when he received the tablets of the law written by the finger of God. He broke them as soon as he saw the people in their idolatry, judging them too faithless to be worthy of such great benefit. Afterwards, the law was written on other tablets, made by hands of man, and these were preserved in the world. The first tablets made by the hands of God and having written upon them the law of the Lord were broken by the first sin, and we would not have had any evangelical law if there had not been other tablets. Christ and Mary formed in another way, she in the ordinary and natural way, he by the consent and the substance of Mary. If this great lady had not concurred and cooperated as a worthy instrument, we other mortals would be now without this evangelical law. 78. 
In the plentitude of this divine science and grace, Christ our Lord attained all these sublime ends by teaching the Most Blessed Mother the mysteries of the evangelical law. In order that she might be proficient in all of them, and at the same time understand them in their different aspects, in order that she might afterwards be herself the consummate teacher and mother of wisdom, the Lord used different means of enlightening her, sometimes by abstractive visions of the divinity with which, during this part of her life, she was more frequently favored, at other times by intellectual visions, which were more habitual, though less clear. In the one as well as in the other, she saw the whole militant church, with all its history from the beginning of the world until the Incarnation, and what was to be its lot afterwards until the end of the world, and later on in eternal beatitude. This knowledge was so clear, distinct, and comprehensive, that she knew all the just and the saints, and those who were to distinguish themselves afterwards in the church. The apostles, martyrs, patriarchs of the religious orders, the doctors, confessors, and virgins, all these our queen knew in particular with all their merits and graces, and the rewards apportioned to them. 79. She was acquainted also with the sacraments which her divine son was to establish in the church, their efficacy, the results in those that receive them, varying according to the different dispositions of the recipients, and all their strength flowing from the sanctity and merits of her most holy son, our Redeemer. She was also furnished with a clear understanding of all the doctrines which she was to preach and teach, of the New and Old Testament, of all the mysteries hidden under its four different ways of interpreting them, the literal, moral, allegoric, and anagogic, and all that the interpreters of the scriptures were to write an explanation. But her understanding of all these was much more extensive and profound than theirs. She was aware that all this knowledge was given to her in order that she might be the teacher of the whole church, for this was her office in the absence of her most holy son, after the, his ascension to heaven. In her, the new children of the church and the faithful engendered by grace were to have a loving mother who carefully nourished them at the breasts of her doctrines as with sweetest milk, the proper food of infant children." Thus, the Most Blessed Lady, during these eighteen years of her hidden intercourse with her Most Holy Son, fed upon and digested the substance of the evangelical doctrines, receiving them from their author, Christ the Redeemer. Having tasted and well understood the scope and efficacy of this law, she drew forth from it sweet nourishment for the primitive church, whose members were yet in their tender years, and unfit for the solid and strong food of the scriptures, and the perfect imitation of their master and redeemer. But since I am to speak of this part of her history in its proper place, I do not expatiate farther upon this matter. 80. Besides these visions and instructions concerning her divine Son and his human nature, the great lady also had two other sources of information which I have already mentioned— the one was the reflection of his most holy soul and its interior operation, which she saw as in a mirror, and in which she was included at the same time a reflex image of all his knowledge and things created, so that she was informed of all the counsels of the Redeemer and the Artificer of Sanctity, and also of all the works which he intended to undertake and execute, either by himself or by his ministers. The other source of information was his own spoken word. For the Lord conversed with his most worthy mother about all things concerning his church, from the greatest to smallest, including also all the happenings, 
contemporary with and bearing upon the different phases of the history of the church. On this account, the heavenly disciple and our instructress was so imbued with his doctrine and so proficient in the most perfect praise of it that the perfection of her works correspond with her immense wisdom and science. Her knowledge was so clear and deep that it comprehended everything and was never equaled by any creature, nor can it be conceived in its full extent either in thought or words. Neither was there anything wanting that is necessary, nor was there anything added that was superfluous, nor did she ever mistake one thing for another, nor was she in need of discourse or inquiry in order to be able to explain the most hidden mysteries of the scriptures, whenever such explanation was necessary in the primitive church. Instruction given to me by the Heavenly Mother, Our Lady. 81. The Most High, who in sheer goodness and bounty has given existence to all creatures and denies his providential care to none, faithfully supplies all souls with the light by which they can either enter into the knowledge of him and of eternal life, provided they do not of their own free will prevent and obscure this light by sin or give up the quest of the kingdom of heaven. To the souls whom, according to his secret judgments, he calls to his church, he shows himself still more liberal. For with the grace of baptism, he infuses into them not only virtues, which are called, essentially infused, and which the creature cannot merit by its own efforts, but also those which are accidentally infused, and which it can merit by its own labors and efforts. These the Lord gives freely beforehand, in order that the soul may be more prepared and zealous in the observance of his holy law. In other souls, in addition to the common light of faith, the Lord in his clemency grants supernatural gifts of knowledge and virtue for the better understanding of the evangelical mysteries and for the more zealous practice of good works. In this kind of gifts, he has been more liberal with thee than with many generations, obliging thee thereby to distinguish thyself in loving correspondence due to him and to humble thyself before him to the very dust. 82. In order that thou mayest be well instructed and informed, I wish to warn thee as a solicitous and loving mother of the cunning of Satan for the destruction of these works of the Lord. From the very moment in which mortals begin to have the use of their reason, each one of them is followed by many watchful and relentless demons. For as soon as the souls are in a position to raise their thoughts to the knowledge of their God and commence the practice of the virtues infused by baptism, these demons, with incredible fury and astuteness, seek to root out the divine seed. If they cannot succeed in this, they try to hinder its growth and prevent it from bringing forth fruit by engaging men in vicious, useless, or trifling things. Thus, they divert their thoughts from faith and hope and from the pursuit of other virtues, leading them to forget that they are Christians and diverting their attention from the knowledge of God and from the mysteries of redemption and of life eternal. Moreover, the same enemy instills into the parents a base neglectfulness and carnal love for their offspring, and he incites the teachers to carelessness, so that the children find no support against evil in their education, but become depraved and spoiled by many bad habits, losing sight of virtue and of their good inclinations, and going the way of perdition. 83. But the Most Kind Lord does not forget them in this danger, and he renews in them his holy inspirations and special helps. He supplies them with the holy teachings of the church by his preachers and ministers. He holds out to them the aid of the sacraments and many other inducements to keep them on the path of life. 
that those who walk in the way of salvation are in a smaller number is due to the vice and depraved habits imbibed in youth and nourished in childhood. For that saying of Deuteronomy is very true. As the days of thy youth, so also shall thy old age be. Deuteronomy 3.25 Hence the demons gain courage and increase their tyrannical influence over souls in the early years of man's life, hoping that they will be able to induce men to commit so much the greater and the more frequent sins in later years, the more they have succeeded in drawing them into small and insignificant faults in their childhood. By these, they draw them on to a state of blind presumption, for which each sin the soul loses more and more the power of resistance, subjects itself to the demon, and falls under the sway of its tyrannical enemies. The miserable yoke of wickedness is more and more firmly fastened upon it. The same is trodden underfoot by its own iniquity and urged onward under the sway of the devil from one precipice to another, from abyss to abyss. Psalm 41.8 a chastisement merited by all those that allow themselves to be overcome by evil doing in the beginning. By these means, Lucifer has hurled into hell so great a number of souls, and continues so to hurl them every day, rising up in his pride against the Almighty. In this manner has he been able to introduce into the world his tyrannical power, spreading among men forgetfulness of death, judgment, heaven, and hell, and casting so many nations from abyss to abyss of darkness and bestial errors, such as are contained in the heresies and false sects of the infidels. Do thou, therefore, beware of this terrible danger, my daughter, and let not the memory of the law of thy God, his precepts and commands, and the truths of the Catholic Church and the doctrines of the gospel ever fail in thy mind. Let not a day pass in which thou dost not spend much time in meditating upon all these, and exhort thy religious, and all those who listen to thee, to do the same. For thy enemy and adversary is laboring with ceaseless vigilance to obscure thy understanding and forgetfulness of thus divine law, seeking to withdraw thy will, which is a blind faculty, from the practice of justification. This, thou knowest, consists in acts of living faith, trustful hope, ardent love, all coming from a contrite and a humble heart, Psalm fifty nineteen. This concludes our reading today for day number 189. We read today from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 7, Paragraphs 74 to 83. Today our reading talks about the knowledge of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and I think we can maybe think of a song at Christmas that a lot of people have some rightfully so, reservations about the song, Mary, Did You Know? And lots of people will say, well, yes, Mary did know, because the angel told her that her son was going to be the son of the Most High, and the response goes on and on. And then you might wonder, well, what did Mary know all throughout her life? And well, we learned today that she had all of this different knowledge and different forms of knowledge that she was given. And so she did come to know these great mysteries of God and of our salvation. It's why in the movie Resurrection that was on Discovery Plus that Roma Downey produced, I really loved one of the scenes in which Mary tells one of the apostles, can't you just wait? He said he will rise from the dead. She knows this because her son told her. And we hear about the knowledge then that she has 
today. The knowledge that first she gained because she was molded by God, so God endowing her with certain gifts and certain knowledge. Then the second, the Lord had in view of this work concerned likewise the ministry of the Redeemer, so the knowledge that she has as the new Eve, as a cooperator uh, in the work of redemption. That third knowledge that she has about Christ and about the eternal word. We know she received some of this from an, from the angel. And I always think it's important for us to emphasize the cooperation of Our Lady in the work of salvation. If this great lady had not concurred and cooperated as a worthy instrument, we other mortals would be now without this evangelical law. Mary cooperated. She is a co-worker with Christ. It's very important for us to draw this out and to acknowledge this reality of who Mary is. We're also told that she acquired the knowledge of the sacraments, which her divine son was to establish in the church, their efficacy, the results in those that receive them, varying according to the different dispositions of the recipients. So I think that's important for us. We need to be properly disposed. Confession opens our heart and our soul to the greater graces of God. Whenever I go on pilgrimage, when I've gone to Garamandal, when I've gone to Lourdes or Fatima or Guadalupe, I always made it a point to make sure that I went to confession beforehand so that I would be disposed to receive whatever graces God wanted to give me through those holy places. But Mary also comes to know their efficacy. This, too, is significant because in all of these apparitions of Our Lady, she continues to draw us to the sacramental life of the church. She wants churches to be built so the Eucharist can be celebrated. She tells us to go to confession. For First Saturdays, Our Lady says, Receive Holy Communion. Go to confession. And so Our Lady knows the efficacy of these sacraments. It's good for us to listen to her voice. And why does she say these things? Because she knows and she's seen them all. She was aware that all this knowledge was given to her in order that she might be the teacher of the whole church. So she is our teacher as members of the body of Christ. She also was given a knowledge of the scriptures, and uh, I think we see that, and we know uh, how she comes to reflect upon these great passages of the Holy Scriptures, which especially pertain to her Holy Son. And in the instruction that Our Lady gives, because remember, she's our teacher, she again draws us to that reality of the sacraments, that they help us and aid us on the path to eternal life. And finally, we heard also today about how when we fall into sin, what that does to us, and how sins of childhood can even lead to greater sins later on in life. But there's always this talk in Catholic theological circles, are there any souls in hell? And some say, well, dare we hope all may be saved. Well, it seems Our Lady, in instructing Maria of Agreda, disagrees. By these means, Lucifer has hurled into hell so great a number of souls, 
and continue so to hurl them every day, rising up in his pride against the Almighty. I think that prayer Our Lady taught at Fatima is really important. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell. If we keep praying that, if we keep drawing close to Our Lady, learning about her, imitating her life, if we receive the sacraments, well, we'll remain on the path of life. And that prayer, truly, we will be saved from the fires of hell, and our soul will be led to eternal life. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.